Hi, this is Sean King, host of My Youth on Record. Have you ever wondered what your favorite musicians were like in high school? My co-hosts and I took that question straight to the artists. You're about to get a candid look into the teenage years of our next musical guest. Time is important. I think experience is important. I think... I think it makes sense when you're 15 to create from the insecure place. Um, Looking out at the world at 15, you don't have all the answers and you don't know how to step into the studio and ask for what you need or step into the room to write a song and, and maybe bring what you know you can bring. I think you have to step into a lot of rooms and fail. Mm. You have to step into a lot of studios and not know what any of these instruments are called, what any of these microphones are called, what any of those knobs in there do. I remember feeling so intimidated the first time I ever walked into a real studio. Welcome to My Youth on Record, a podcast where artists share the music they created as teens and the stories behind the songs. Our good friend Dan Aide stopped by the studio today. Dan is an artistic wizard, starting as a musician in the sixth grade, and now making his television debut on Showtime's Smilth. He has a special way of bringing us all into the heart of each story he tells. Let's hear what he has to say. I'd just like to start by saying, Dan Aide, thank you so much for being here on My Youth on Record. Thanks for having me. I'm here with my co-host, Stevie, and we would just like to talk about some of the early days. Part of this show is to talk about what inspired people to continue to become professional with music. And maybe we could just start by asking, how essential was music in your freshman year of high school? Well, that particular year? Um, Very essential. Uh, I think I came out of that transition from middle school to high school, and I went to a really small middle school where there were um, there was this select group of people um, um, that had started playing instruments and had started listening to uh, punk rock music, which is sort of where I came up and uh, started. That's that's the first music I ever played with people was uh, punk rock. And, um, and transitioning into high school for me was really freeing because I, I had a, uh, I really hated my middle school experience. I almost got expelled from my middle school. Um, Can you tell us uh, a little bit about that? I was going to say. Sure, sure. Yeah, I almost got expelled from my middle school for uh, drinking drugs and sexual activity on a class trip. Um, uh, yeah, I had to go in for these Saturday detentions. My mom made me watch The Breakfast Club. Because she thought that be uh, that I could relate to it, um, I remember that. But um, middle school for me was so tough. I'd met these people that I learned so much about. Um, uh, at, remember the CD wallets everybody used to have? Absolutely. I remember like there was this group of kids and. Um, they were all into skateboarding and they were all into, and they all had these CD wallets filled with all of this music. And, um, it was this group of kids that at the school 
the school was K through eight. So a lot of these kids had grown up together in the school. And I came in at like third grade and I had a really hard time sort of finding my, my place. And, um, and, uh, one of the ways that I tried to connect with people was through music. I would, I remember looking through these wallets and seeing what people had and then going to Tower Records or Wax Tracks, um, and, and then buying those CDs, not knowing what was on them, and then bringing them home and opening them up and putting them in the CD player and putting my headphones on and just absorbing. And the records that made a huge impact with, on me at that point um, were a lot of uh, Rage Against the Machine, um, Anti-Flag, Underground Network, I remember it was huge, um, Less Than Jake, Borders and Boundaries, um, and then all these kids started buying instruments. And I remember like going over to their houses and play guitar and, and figure it out. And, um, and it was a little bit weird because um, they didn't want me to play with them. They'd allow me to come to the band rehearsals, but they wouldn't let me play. What age is this now? This is still middle school. So I'm working to freshman year, but I feel like this helped. I don't know. In my brain, this helps me get there. And... Um, and that was hard for me. So I'd watch these people do this thing in like their mom's living room that I wanted to be doing so badly. And then all of a sudden, uh, I show up in high school and there's not this set boundary anymore for me between me and other people who own instruments, between me and other people who own CD wallets, between um, uh, me and these previous relationships. It felt really uh, freeing. And um, freshman year in high school was a big exploration just further into punk rock. It was like, what's Rancid all about? Um, I think Rancid 2000 was the first Rancid record I bought. And I remember I hated it, which is really interesting because Rancid ended up being like my favorite band ever. Um, <laughs> and uh, I bought that and uh, some 41's Half Hour of Power, which was their first record, and Nirvana's Nevermind. And um, Rancid 2000 was way too intense, way too fast. Never mind, I didn't understand. Uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit, immediately I was like, that's amazing. But the rest of the record, like where I was at, I just didn't, it was like, okay. And then set it to the side. And it was actually uh, the Sum 41 record that ended up getting the most plays at that point in my life. And I think there's a part of my ear that has always loved pop music. Hmm. Do you know um, why that is? Oh, I feel like now, I, like just now I'm starting to understand that because I feel like I lost years of my life being like, it's not punk rock, I'm not listening to it. And that's what high school was for me. It was like, if you didn't have the mohawk and the bullet belt on the front of your record and stuff, like, I'm not listening to you. And, um, oh, and I, I lost so many years of knowing about good music that was happening right at that moment, I think, because of it. But it also allowed me to dive so deeply and passionately into this, this thing that I was trying to figure out that really um, spoke to me. Uh, it spoke to me through the records. And then when I first started going to shows, it spoke to me through the shows a lot. Like I remember showing up and not wanting to blink, not wanting to like breathe because I might miss something. Like I remember when the lights would go down, like just 
like right now, like just getting goosebumps. Like, I don't know what's about to happen when those lights come up. And um, I remember being 14 years old and going to see Goldfinger at the Ogden and watching John Feldman run out on stage and grab the mic and jump into the crowd. It's like the first moment of the set. And I was like, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. Like, what is that? So was it always the visceral thing that you connected to with punk? Is it, or was it more lyrically, kind of combination? Uh, lyrically, too. I think I was really intrigued because I'd grown up, my dad had played me a lot of Bob Dylan records and Phil Oaks records, um, uh, Bob Marley, Bruce Springsteen, um, um, a, a lot of storytellers. And I think I came up listening to music interested in stories. Um, and the people that really spoke to me in punk rock, I felt were also telling stories. And I felt like Rancid told really good stories about people. They'd choose a character and they'd write a song about the character. Um, and Green Day also really spoke to me in that way. They were like, uh, I, at, with Green Day though, it was like, I'm the character. But the way they described the, the, them or me as the character really spoke to me. And, um, and Green Day's Insomniac record was so huge for me in that um, it's the first record that I ever sat down with and I learned front to back. And when I played those songs, the songs kind of sounded, when I played them, like the songs on the record. And I think that's the most beautiful thing about punk rock is that um, the barrier to entry is almost non-existent. And I think that's so cool. And I think that's why a lot of people's first projects are punk projects of some kind. It's um, a good point. You learn a couple bar chords and you're just, you're in. Yeah. Definitely. Um, yeah, right on. So, um, okay, so your dad played guitar. Was there anyone else who was influential in you learning music? Um... My parents always pushed me towards music. Well, I, w I wouldn't say push, they just offered. Um, my first instrument was violin in preschool. I remember learning, bunny ears are pink, pink. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then um, took piano lessons alongside my sister, and I hated taking piano lessons. We had this kitchen timer that my parents would set up for us to practice, and I would always, like, when they would walk into the kitchen, I would twist the dial speed to, like, speed it up. up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what was interesting about learning piano is that later in life, uh, like in college, when I went back to studying music, uh, after not having played piano forever, I still related everything I was learning to piano because it was visual for me. Right. And it made sense to me. I've never learned theory or scales on a guitar, even though that's my instrument. Um, it doesn't speak to me that way. It doesn't make sense to me that way. Um, but when I look at a piano, it starts to make sense. So um, so yeah. when you're playing, when you're playing all these like punk chords and like you're, you're, and I had a similar experience with guitar. It's interesting you say that, but when you're, you you go from learning these songs and greeting and stuff, and then at some point you're like, you're you make a mistake or something like, oh, that's now my own. So at what point were you like, oh, so I can write my own tunes here? Yeah. So 
I started writing, like I wrote my first song when I was, I think, seven or eight years old, or eight, when my dad got me my first acoustic. I, I've always played and sang, always. I didn't like learn guitar and then start singing, and I think that's because of my dad. My dad had this um, red spiral notebook that when he was a teenager, he'd taken his records and he would um, put on a Dylan record and he would write down all the lyrics and then he would write down the chord changes over the lyrics. And so when he was first teaching me chords, we used that book. And he would teach me, you know, a D chord, a G chord, and a C chord. And then I would go through the book and I would learn every part of every song that had those three chords. And then when I would run into a chord I didn't know, I'd be like, what's A minor? And he would teach me A minor. And then I would go and I would learn every song that had those four chords. Um, so, Do you remember this song from when you were eight? Yeah. Yeah. It, um, it went, um, well, I've looked high and I've looked low for the better things in this world but every time i turn around i meet a different girl <laughs> she traps my heart and entangles my mind like no girl ever has but every time she comes along i somehow have to pass come and sit by my side if you love me never get up and go away Come and sit by my side if you love me and never wander astray. <laughs> wow. I don't think I could write that at my age, man. <laughs> when Dan was 12, he was involved in an accident that changed his life forever. But his friends and family helped him see that he was still the same Dan. Losing his arm opened new artistic doors for him, and he didn't walk, but rather ran through them. Music sort of came to me, I think, like when I lost my hand. Mm -hmm. It was this, this obviously big thing that happened when I was 12 at this very poignant moment in your maturation, and... All of a sudden, because um, I'd been right-handed, I didn't have a right hand. So all the you know the throwing things, and um, I didn't feel like I could compete the way that I wanted to compete when I did a lot of when I did basketball or baseball in particular. But what that left room for was um, a lot more time to sit down with the guitar. And that's when I started really pushing into acting, too. That was like my seventh grade year. Was it a dark time after the accident? Um, a dark time. You know, uh, uh, not necessarily. I had uh, a friend named Evan Rogers. And as soon as I, I I'd spent two months in the hospital out in Sacramento, and as soon as I flew home, um, I'd get together with Evan, and he just wanted to hang out. And he wanted to do all the things we used to do, you know, like sneak out of the house and go, like, meet girls in the park and, like, like play music and listen to music. And, like, I think I started to see myself at that age 
through his eyes. How he saw me, I started to see me. At that time, I think I felt, I felt fragile. Um, I'd just been really hurt. And when you are really hurt, I think people in the world, in their cognizance of you having been hurt, sometimes treat you like you've been really hurt. And sometimes that can be great, and sometimes that can be really bad. It can either be enabling in ways that's not helpful for recovery, or it can um, be belittling in ways um, that aren't helpful for recovery, I think. And I think the fact that Evan just treated me like he'd always treated me was really key. So yeah, I think, you know, my dad and I, like, we got back and we started working. Like, I was like, I want to keep playing guitar. Cool. So we started working on a little mechanism to play guitar. And the first time we had a little piece of plexiglass and we cut a sliver of it and glued a pick to it and melted it over the stove to sort of bend the plexiglass. And then we tied it to my arm with a shoelace. And then I went to strum the guitar and the whole thing fell off. (laughs) And I was like, you know, and that moment sucks. You're like, as a kid, you're like, we did it. We built the thing that's going to be perfect and allow me to like do the thing I want to do right off the bat. And then it fails. But I think through that process of, cool, that didn't work. Now we try the next thing. I think that was really important. And it taught me a lot. Um, Taught me patience with myself. I think has been really key. As a sophomore in high school, Dan experienced the trials and tribulations of forming and maintaining a band. Starting as a solo guitarist, he went on to form the band The Snobs. Dan shared with us one of their early recordings. Let's listen in. So so we're getting a picture of eight the eight-year-old Dan, the twelve-year-old Dan, yeah. and then high school you, Dan a little, high school a little bit of high school Dan, and I think I heard that you brought one of your earliest recordings for us to listen to. Yeah, this is my first record. Um, so my sophomore year of high school, I started a band called the Snobs, <laughs> and uh, and it was just well, first it was just me, and I would go. And my friends would have shows at some art gallery, and I would just play my song. I had my little solid-state Marshall and my Les Paul, and, and I would get up there, and I would sing my punk rock songs, and then all my friends that had their bands put together would get up and like play in their bands. So you were already playing at this. In a sophomore in high school, you are already in front of people playing. Yeah. All right. And then I found this guy, Doug Ling, who was like, yeah, I'll play drums for you. And so... We were a two-piece, and then Doug was a little older than me, and Doug had found his way into uh, the rave scene, and uh, I was having a hard time uh, tracking down my drummer to play shows sometimes. Uh, So Doug had to leave the band, but I ended up bringing on uh, J-Man, played drums, and Chris played bass. And uh, we made this little four-track EP in a, a friend of my parents' basement. 
he had an early version of Pro Tools, but I remember his computer wasn't like loading it up that day. So he ended up pulling out two old ADAT eight track machines and we synced those together and we all sat in the room and put the amps in the closets and we just recorded it all live. And So what song are we gonna hear by the snobs? A misdemeanor. Straight to ADAT. That's right. Guitars may be a little out of tune, which is great. Listening to this because I I always loved Chris's bass playing because I loved Matt Freeman from Rancid. And the minute I started playing with Chris, like he obviously grew up listening to a lot of Off Ivy and Rancid. So we do all these runs. I love listening to him play. I think we recorded this in 2005. I think that's right. It's interesting for me listening to my lyrical content at this point in my life, where the, the story is slightly heightened in, in many ways to, to fit the angst of what I wanted my life to be. Oh yeah, the breakdown. brought that one specifically amongst the other ones on the record? Did you, do you feel like that one was like... I think that's the one that has the least amount of mistakes. Okay. In it. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, I still really love that record because I think it to I know it sounds like the band that we were. And as I started to make more records and learn about the process of recording, I now have some records that I listen back to. Um, 
They're all edited, Pro yeah. Tools, though. They don't yeah. sound like the band. They don't sound like the idea. And there, and there are interesting moments in all of those, and I can hear myself learning, and I can hear the people I'm playing with in whatever project learning about like what we're doing. But I really love that record because it just sounds like those people who wrote those songs together and, and did that thing. And, I, and some of my favorite records sound like that. Well, man, you have got so much going on, TV acting. You've got you've got the Quiet Place, your solo record. Uh, you got a tour coming up with Authority Zero, who's supporting the new record Persona Non Grata, and you know still managed to come here and talk to us. So I want to say thank you so much for being here, Dan. Yeah, thanks for having me. My Youth on Record is proudly brought to you by Youth on Record. Colorado nonprofit organization where local teens are empowered to find their voice and value by working with local musicians as their educators. Teens and Youth on Records programs are working to be both the next generation of creatives as well as community leaders. They do this through music, poetry, and storytelling. My Youth on Record is one of their newest programs. Learn more at www.youthonrecord.org. Bunny ears are pink, pink. Bunny ears are pink, 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 pink. Bunny ears are pink, pink.